0: Good morning, and uh, Happy New Year. I know New Year, uh, the first of the year was last Sunday, but I didn't get up here to tell you you Happy New Year, so I wanted to do that. So now that the New Year's here, we have Christmas trees on the stage, but there are now no lights, so I guess that indicates that uh, we're in the midst of winter. Of course, this is... um, The winter, the Texas winter, which is basically in spring for the last two weeks, the first two weeks of winter. But uh, if you're new to Texas, welcome to Texas. Um, The new year is great to celebrate all kinds of new things. Um, We have a new engagement. They didn't know I was going to say this, but two of our um, now adults, used to be college students, uh, Grant and Megan, are engaged as of this morning. So they, uh, they went on their first date to um, Sipsy's, is that right? Because I don't, I don't do Sipsies, but anyway, they do. And um, so they, they, to today, right? This is the first date? The first date was today, so they went this morning, and uh, Grant popped the question at about 8.30 this morning at Sipsies. There wasn't anybody else there sipping their coffee. <laughs> So I thought maybe I should have gone to at least be a witness that it actually happened. But uh, she's got a ring and a big smile, so congratulate them. Actually, we're just gonna have y'all stand here at the end of the service, and so we'll come by and... No, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. Right. Y'all, y'all need to do that. But uh, uh, Grant plays the drums, if you don't know that, and Megan uh, is the one with the big smile. So, all right. Great New Year. We're at um, Psalm 61. So if you would turn to Psalm 61, CF is going to be uh, teaching out of this Psalm this morning. Hear my cry, O God, attend to my prayer. From the end of the earth, I will cry to you. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been a shelter for me, a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in your tabernacle forever, and I will trust in the shelter of your wings. For you, O God, have heard my vows, and you have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. You will prolong the king's life in his years as many generations. He shall abide before God forever. O oh, prepare mercy and truth which may preserve him. So I will sing praise to your name forever that I may daily perform my vows. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word and I thank you for its truth. Pray, Lord, that you will speak through CF this morning. That truth will be made known to us, your spirit moving in our lives to move us to you to glorify your name. And I pray, Lord, that as a result will be a light that uh, shines in this community, the people that we hang around, work with, live next to even our own family. Pray, Lord that you'll work through us because of your Word and we say this in your name. Amen. Good morning everybody.
1: Good to have you here. You're visiting with us. We're glad to have you too. And I chose to be here today. And uh, we're right now between books of study. We just finished the book of Colossians. And so I'm just preaching on some different topics. And the topics today is I can't handle it anymore. Uh, Based upon a lot of what I hear from people that seem to be very frustrated, uh, concerned, worried, uh, sometimes somewhat overwhelmed. And uh, what does the Bible have to say about that? How do we approach that? How do we deal with life and circumstances of life when problems or bigger than what we can handle. You know, the Bible talks a lot about that. There's There's an old myth concerning the Bible, and people will use it a lot. They'll say, God will never give you more than you can handle. God will knock you to your knees. He will give you way more than you can handle. He will crush you if need be, but he will always give you a way through it. See, that's the difference with God. God gives you the ability to overcome, the ability to get through, whether the circumstances change or not. And so that's the hope that we have in the midst of that. And so we're going to look at this passage and look at some key ways that we can uh, face up to, uh, the term we used in the Marine Corps was suck it up. Uh, Spiritually, that's what we're going to do. Uh, get a backbone, grab a hold, hang on for the ride, uh, but you're gonna make it. And that's how a Christian life is. You've got to be strong. If, if No other time in history that I know of in my lifetime, is it more important for Christians to stand for the truth. Uh, so many Christians today are scared and worried of what people that don't even know God, think of them. You need to be concerned with what God thinks of you. You need to be concerned with how you stand before God and are you living your life as a living example to others of hope, of stability, of confidence, and love. That's what people need to see now. Uh, God provides situations and circumstances that will invoke those kind of conversations. But if you wanna be a source of answers and a source of hope for others, you've got to learn to walk in turbulent times. You've got to learn how to stand. Uh, You can fret, worry, and complain about it. Nothing's gonna change. Uh, You need to make sure that you stand strong. I've heard some people say, you know, I dread to see the world that my kids or my grandkids are gonna grow up to. Well, in reality, they may have a better world than you or I had. Because if God sends spiritual awakening, they would get to live in a time and a period and experience that. We've never experienced that in our life. And so that's a possibility also. But I can promise you this that I used to hear that from my granddad. He said, son, he said, it's gonna be rough. The world's getting way worse than what it was when I was here. I don't know how you're gonna make it. And he'd usually go on those conversations with me at the cemetery. Every time I was with him we we'd would go to the cemetery. He'd take me to cemetery. And I'd get those little talks like that. And uh, they'd be pretty negative, man. And I was lost and scared to daylight. It was like a, a mobile tent revival with no tent. I mean, I was like, <laughs> boy, this is, this is horrible, man. <laughs> I want to go get a Coke or something. Let's get out of here, man. And uh, he would say that kind of stuff. And, and in reality, you know, he, his granddad told him that. And his granddad told him, we always think it's worse for the ones after us because times change, everything changes. And you gotta learn how to live with it, how to overcome it, how to be victorious. Scripture's gonna tell us this morning how we can do that. What do I need to do to not be overwhelmed? Or what do I need to do to where I can handle it? And that's what we're gonna look at today, okay? So let's go to the Lord in prayer and we'll begin. Father. We come before you in prayer thanking you, Lord, for your goodness and your grace toward us, for the blessings of this life, for all that we have that we're so undeserving of, and for the blessings that we have that we overlook day by day. Uh, Father, help us to focus on your word and understand your word. I pray that you would give me clarity of thought and help me rightly divide your word of truth to explain it clearly and accurate to where your people can receive it. And then, Lord, I pray for everyone that's here. It's different situations in every life and different concerns. But, Father, the one and same true God. And might you convey confidence and strength to the lives of the people that are here. And they might leave here with that strength and confidence in their life to better serve you and face life and all that they confront. So, Lord, we look forward to that with great anticipation of what you're going to do. We pray all this in Jesus' name, Lord. Amen. Uh, David writes this psalm, and the, the forenote to the psalm in my Bible says, a prayer when overwhelmed. It says, to the chief musician, on a stringed instrument, a psalm of David. And what the psalms were, they were actually songs that they would sing. They, this is their song book is what it is. They would sing praises to God uh, built on these. When he says to the chief musician on a stringed instrument, the word there is nagana, or it's another word for a harp. It's an eight stringed instrument. But David is going through a difficult time. If you look there uh, in verse one, we see the situation. He says, help me, O God, attend to my prayer. From the end of the earth, I will cry to you when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to a rock that is higher than I. And we don't have in the text before us what exactly David was going through. Now, I read in various other places. Some people say it was possibly his conflict with Absalom. It could have been another time in his life, but it most likely occurred after 2 Samuel 8. Uh, And 2 Samuel 8 is where David begins his big campaign Uh, And he goes through, he's wiping out entire nations in one fell swoop, battles, where there were 20, 30,000 people falling in a day. If you can imagine that, when you think of the conflicts we've had, uh, to see that many people slain on a battlefield. You're talking about some bloodshed, folks. And he had a lot of enemies, and a lot of people pursuing him. Uh, And he had problems on every side. And it was compounded after he sinned. It even got worse for him had division in his family and all this disarray taking place around him. So David spent a lot of time running uh, and, and avoiding people. And so he says in this, he says, hear my cry, O God, attend to my prayer. And he's praying with intensity. So the first thing you do when you're faced with problems or things that overwhelm you is prayer. You call out to God, okay? Now I understand, God's given you a brain and mobility and stuff like that. You do everything in your power to resolve problems, okay? I'm not one of these types says you just sit back and wait for God to come on the scene because God has equipped you to handle a lot. But when it comes to things that are overwhelming or outside of your control, the first step in that process is is to call upon God. Note what David says, he says, hear my cry. And then he says in verse two, from the end of the earth, I will cry out to you. David doesn't quit. David doesn't give up. David doesn't completely and totally lose hope. He doesn't deny his love for God for allowing these problems to happen. But what he does do is he calls upon God. And so the first thing you need to do when faced with a crisis is call out to God. Just let him know your situation. Not that God needs to know because God is all knowing, but it is the process that God has set before us, that when you lay something before God, as the scripture says, cast your care upon him, for he cares for you. So see, God wants you to do that. God knows what your problem is, and God has already got a solution for your problem. All right, but in prayer, prayer goes a long ways in settling our own hearts in knowing that we've put it before God. It's the human aspect of prayer. And so David says, hear my cry, O God, and attend to my prayer. So David is not only praying, but he's purposeful in his prayer. He's intense in his prayer. He's he's asking for an answer. He's calling on God for an answer. Then he uses an interesting phrase. He says, from the end of the earth, I will cry to you when my heart is overwhelmed. And this idea of end of the earth, I don't take that statement to be so much as talking about geographical distance as it's talking more in a metaphorical sense, speaking of despair, alienation. When I've been pushed to the outermost of my limits, God, when I've been taken to so far that I can't go anymore, I'm gonna cry to you. I'm calling upon you when it's bad, when it's overwhelming, when it's crushing and I'm experiencing despair, alienation, spiritual distance from God, I'm calling on you. I'm calling upon your name and I'm asking you something. And what is he asking for? He says, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Now, Rocks are something we're not familiar with uh, to a certain extent here in East Texas. Uh, there's not a lot of rocky areas around here, but the thing about a rock in David's culture was this. When he was fleeing a lot of these people, he was up in the mountains in what we would call the Badlands, canyons and caves and stuff like this, and rocks were a very important thing. The usage of rock there from an applicational sense means several things. Number one, God moved me to a place of stability. A rock represented stability. It represented sure footing. If you remember the story of Jesus Christ, he says, build your house upon the rock or the wise man built his house upon the rock. The foolish man built it upon the sand. And the idea behind the rock is stability. But he says this, he says, put me on a rock higher than I. And the rock that is higher than I means I need a better perspective of what's going on. When you're down here and you're going through problems, there's easily the tendency to forget that God's in control of your life. You've gotta be very cautious with that, okay? The ability to see over problem. I mean, if you can look at the world from God's perspective, it makes everything make sense. From our perspective, it doesn't make sense. I know when uh, I get people come uh, down here to visit we got a lot of prisons out in West Texas. The first comment when they get here is they said, man, how do you people see where you're going around here? I said, what are you talking about? And they said, the trees, I can't see anything for the trees around here. You go out there in West Texas, and I'll be driving to a unit or something out there, and I said, oh, there it is. And I start getting my stuff ready. I'm actually 30 miles away. <laughs> but from my perspective, I can see it, and I'm like, well, it's right there. It's over the next hill. Little do I know there's another hill and another hill and another hill. And that place is way out there. But there's no trees blocking your view. Here there is. Well, when you're going through struggles in life, many times when you lose your focus on God, all you can see is your problems. All you can see is your problems and obstacles that are in the way. And so David says, God, give me some stability in my heart. Put me on a rock and put me on a position higher than I am. Let me see things with a better vantage point and a better view. Let me see things in a different manner or different way. That's what he's saying in that passage. Lead me to the rock that is higher myself. That could also have a spiritual application, a veiled application in scripture is Messiah, the rock of ages. Let me get my footing back on God because folks, that is the ultimate stability. That is the ultimate place of stability and vantage point, okay? He says, and then he's going to reflect on verses three through uh, five. He's going to reflect upon his past provisions, okay? The the first two verses, if you keep up with that kind of stuff, is his present need. The, The next three is going to be his past provision. And look at his past provision. For you have been a shelter for me and a strong tower from the enemy. So what he's talking about there is in a military sense, a shelter was a place of protection. It could be a place of protection from the weather, but it could also be a place of protection from your enemy because the next part of that verse he says, and you have been a strong tower for me. And what that does is it's looking at the defensive situations in a conflict. When they would be in a fortified position, they had towers on the corners of those areas and they're fortified towers to where they couldn't be taken out. But from that tower, a person could see what's going on in the battle or where the assault's coming from and they could holler to the guys in the compound, move the forces to the west wall. We've got a major attack coming over there because they could see the enemy moving in that direction and stuff. The idea behind the tower and the shelter is security and protection is what it's speaking of. Put me in a place where I am secure, God, and you have been the shelter for me and you've been the strong tower from my enemy. Though I may use physical towers and I may have a physical shelter, my ultimate shelter and tower is God because he protects me from my enemies. He says, I will abide in your tabernacle forever. I will trust in the shelter of your wings. Now David from the Jewish perspective is calling upon the history of Israel. When he uses the word tabernacle or tent, uh, tent of dwelling, it is a reference to the fact that God moved with his people. When you went back into the Old Testament and you look at Israel back in the book of Numbers and Deuteronomy and back in that area right there, it was very clear and all the way up through the early part of the Old Testament as Israel moved, God moved with them. They would take the tabernacle down. They would erect the tabernacle. And inside the tabernacle was the Ark of the Covenant. That was the dwelling place of God. The picture of the tabernacle is, when he talks about going to the tabernacle, he says, God, I want to be in your presence. That's what he's talking about. Being in the presence of God. That advanced to the temple. And in the temple, it was the picture of, when you're in the temple, you're in the presence of God. God is with you. We don't have that problem now, folks, because you are the temple of God. God dwells in his people. He dwells in your heart. He dwells in the centermost part of your being. God will never leave you nor forsake you. He will abide with you forever is what the scripture says. So when he says, I will abide in your tabernacle, the application for you and me would be this. I will abide in the presence of God forever. That is the idea. That's what's trying to be conveyed there. I will abide in the presence of God forever. And I will trust in the shelter of your wings. Question, does God have wings? No. This is is a statement that speaks of security, peace, comfort, protection, warmth. You think about wings and how they're used. The common usage of it was wings was a, a picture of, of shelter or protection. The most common usage is that with birds. Most birds are born naked when they, when they hatch out of the egg in the nest of the mother, and they're dependent upon the warmth and the protection of that mother uh, to keep them safe. You think about how, how precious little baby is. Imagine if your babies were born 30 feet off the ground in a six inch straw nest on a tree limb. You think there might be some anxiety in your life? Those birds are living like that, man, and they're protecting those babies. There's a lot of wind up at that height and stuff. Back here in the early fall, I had a chicken at the house, a little bantam hen. I've got some that run loose to clean up, spilled feed and stuff like that on the ground. And one of them got into a 55-gallon barrel. I got some barrels out there, and I have one barrel stood upright, and I I put hose and different things like that in there to where I can keep them coordinated. But this bantam had got in there, and she had actually sat on some eggs. She laid her eggs in the bottom of this barrel, and she was sitting on her eggs. And I looked in there, and I thought, my goodness, you're not very bright, are you? (laughs) Because when those babies hatch, where are you gonna get food and water from? Those babies can't run to food and water in there, they're gonna die in that barrel. And so I said, when you hatch those eggs, I'm gonna watch the death of those babies because I'll watch every day and they're gonna get hungrier and thirstier and eventually they're gonna die and they're gonna shrivel up to nothing. But being the compassionate, warm, fuzzy guy that I am, <laughs> I reached in there the day of the hatch and I took those babies out and put them with her. And immediately, you know what she did? She made a little sound a little sound like this, and it was in chicken language, and every one of them, they, they just ran underneath her. And she was sitting there with her wings down, looking at me all fizzled up around her neck and stuff. And everywhere she had moved, she could walk, and those babies would be with her. One of them get knocked out the back end, it would circle around and come in through the front. It was a continual pattern. But they were wanting the protection of those wings. A chicken's body temperature was 107 degrees. And when that mama hen spreads her wings like that, even the case of a little bantam with eight babies, when she spreads her wings like that, that's their warmth and protection. You know what David's saying here? He says, I trust in your shelter of your wings, God, that God, you can protect me. You keep me safe. And for those little babies, that was a place of security and protection from the elements that were around them, Uh, all the dangers that they faced. And she's successfully raised her whole flock. Now they're big, too big to get under. But I noticed them yesterday evening when I went out there and was doing some stuff. It was right at dark and everything's getting on the roost and getting squared away for nighttime. And she goes up between two little uh, feeders and some stuff that was sitting there and she's sitting there in the middle and they all crowd around her. So they're still a little family and they all rely on each other's body warmth and stuff. But the shelter of the wings of protection and care. So when he talks about you have sheltered me in your wings, what he's saying is you are my source of confidence, strength, comfort, protection. All that that entails is what it's a picture of. And then he says, see, la pause, think, meditate on this. Why? Because what David's been doing is he's been meditating on his problems, folks. Now let me tell you, when you focus on your problems in life, be certain of this, you will sense anxiety. You will sense turmoil in your life. You know why? Because you've got to put your focus on the the answer. The answer is your Savior. The answer is your God. Don't worry what others can do to you. Draw near to God. And so David says, for you O god have heard my vows you have given me the heritage of those who fear your name so what does he say there he's saying god i look at my track record i look at what you've done look at the believing people you have put into my life the heritage that i have as a result of my relationship with you i've been a man of faith i've kept my vows I I do my religious responsibilities. And you have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Those who fear your name are believers. Those who follow you, God, you've given them to me and you will prolong the king's life. His years is many generations. He shall abide before God forever. Oh, prepare mercy and truth which may preserve him. Now, this is a veiled reference to the coming Messiah here. Because he talks about the king's, his years as many generations. Then he says, he shall abide before God forever. Oh, prepare mercy and truth which may preserve him. It's a dual thing there. David's talking about himself and he is king, but there's also another king that's coming, that's going to abide forever. And what David is saying there is, God is faithful. That's what he's saying. And that whole string of scripture there, my God is a faithful God and I can trust in him. So what do you do when difficult times hit? You deal with the known things in the equations. If you've ever done math problems, a lot of times in a math problem, in order to get a solution, you've got an unknown in the equation. Back when I used to work with a lot of feed and stuff, I had to go out and inventory feed tanks. And feed tanks come in various sizes, but we had feed tanks that actually would hold 12 million pounds of corn. And when you go out and inventory, as I had to do at that time, about 78 million pounds of corn, when you look off into a tank and you open that lid and you look down in there with your light, that corn in some places is all the way to the top, and then it goes down, and in some places it's halfway up on the wall, and you've gotta use various formulas to determine where is the height of that tank, and then how do I resolve what the final answer is. You got an unknown in the equation, that's what you're trying to find. And so what do you do? You solve for the unknown. If you remember back in your glory days of high school, when math class, teacher would give you a math problem and say, solve for the unknown. And that's what you look for, was for the unknown. But well, when it comes to life's problems, You don't solve the unknown. The unknown will take care of itself. What you do is you do the parts that you know. And the parts that you know are draw near to God, put your petition before God, and put your faith in God. Put your trust in God. It's a shifting of your mind and your focus to a different plane. Because the Bible tells us, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And if you're thinking fear, defeat, horrible outcome, you're gonna have a great amount of turmoil in your life. Instead of doing that, shift to, I know God's still in control, check. I know God hears my prayers, check. I know I have put this petition before God, check. See, those are the knowns in the situation. Make sure you're doing the knowns, And then lastly, I'm trusting in God. I'm relying upon God and I'm believing God will carry me through this to the end. That's what David does in this Psalm. He looks toward God and he puts his focus back on God. See, David starts out, I'm overwhelmed. From the end of the earth, I'm crying to you and I'm overwhelmed. When you get down here towards the end, what does he do? Verse eight. So I will sing praise to your name forever that I may daily perform my vow. Well, what has changed in David's life in a matter of about what's it, How long does it take to read that passage of scripture there? 30 seconds. What's happened in that 30 second frame there that's so different that he goes from being overwhelmed to now praising God. Let me tell you what the difference is. David's focus shifted. David realized God is in control. I've allowed my circumstances and situations of life to become bigger than my God. And when that is the case, folks, you're not going to have peace. You're not going to have contentment in life. You've got to get your life back in a proper perspective and realize God is on the throne. Folks, what you face in life is nothing for God. You think of the, the multiplied application of God's wisdom and knowledge of what's going on in the world. That as you sit here this morning, the scripture says he knows every thought on your mind. He knows every possible outcome. He sees the end from the beginning. And the psalmist says, that knowledge is too great. I can't comprehend it. I can't perceive that. Not only does he have that knowledge, he has detailed knowledge of you. He knows every hair on your head, He knows every sparrow that falls through the tree. He knows every drop of rain that hits the ground. And what it did when it hit the ground. There's nothing that happens that God doesn't know. When you call on a God like that, folks, He knows everything that's taking place in your life. And that brings great confidence. Great assurance. I don't even know where I'm going to eat lunch today. (laughs) God's got knowledge, man. He's got knowledge and Understanding it far supersedes me. What makes me think I can take a problem, hold it to myself, and have any kind of peace at all? I can't. I've got to move that problem to God. And the key to doing that is the reason we don't do that is called pride. Pride is the reason we don't give our issues to God. Pride or unbelief. Those are two of our biggest enemies. Two of our biggest enemies. And they're both sins And we need to confess those sins because anytime we take a problem to ourselves, what we're in essence saying is, God, you're not sufficient and you're a liar. Because God's already told us, I will handle it. Okay, God's already told us, cast your care upon me and I will sustain you. And so you go read what the psalmist says and other places. Look at, for example, look at Psalm 34. Look at what David says in Psalm 34. Uh, verse 18, I'm sorry, verse 18. He says, the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and he saves such as having a contrite spirit. That means I have nothing of value before God and I'm laying before you, God, for your mercy. It means the, the, the destruction of pride. Look at the next verse. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. What a blessing when you stop and see that, man, that God is there to deliver us from anything that we face. Look at uh, uh, the next Psalm over, Psalm 62. You flip to Psalm 62, verse eight. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. That is Psalm 62, 8. That's what the scripture advises us to do. And then one of my favorite scriptures is Isaiah uh, 57. And in Isaiah 57, uh, verse 12. I'm sorry, verse 18. He says, 15. He says, For thus says the high and lofty one, Isaiah 57, 15. For thus says the high and lofty one, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite one. For I will not contend forever, nor will I always be angry. For the spirit would fall before me and the souls which I have made. What does God say? He dwells with those that have a contrite heart and a broken spirit. What does that mean? It means put your dependence upon God. Don't think that you're in charge of everything that's going on. Yield yourself to God. Confess your sin and draw back near to God into tight relationship with him. In essence, what has happened here when David's overwhelmed, he's allowing his problems to control his life instead of God. And by the time he finishes this psalm, he concludes the psalm, I will praise you, God, for you can sustain me, you can keep me. He put his faith back in the right place. Lead me to a rock that is higher than I. Let me see, God, from a different perspective and understand with a different mind to know within myself, God, that you are in control. That's what he's saying. That's where true peace and that's where true comfort comes to in our life. In essence, I will follow you in obedience again. Very important passage in Scripture. Scripture. So if you're at the point in your life where you can't handle it anymore, I encourage you to go before God and pour your situation out before God, because God wants you to walk by faith. And if you're walking in fear and doubt and confusion, you're not walking in faith, because when you're walking in faith, you will have great confidence and great assurance, no matter what comes in your life. And life comes in a wild variety of ways. And there's a lot of things you can't do and can't control. So you need to put your trust in God Put your confidence in God And whatever care you have Cast it upon God well, You don't know my situation People at work hate me Put it before God My marriage, my family is falling apart Put it before God Whatever's causing the, the trial Whatever's causing the discomfort Put it before God Scripture tells us over in the book of Hebrews Draw near to God With a pure heart And what's God going to do? He'll be there. He'll draw near to you. Let's pray. Father God, might we come before you, Father, and confess our doubt, confess the fears that we have and the concerns that we have, God. We lay those before you and we ask that you cleanse us from those. Let us put our trust and faith and confidence in you and not in the arm of man, not in the deliverance of man, but let our hope be in God. For in you, God, we trust, and in you alone is peace and comfort and the solitude of life that you promise. Lord, let us be people of faith that look to you daily and walk with confidence and assurance in this year that is set before us, Father. Let us be a sign of hope and life for others. And let us be found faithful with you. For it's in Christ's name we pray, God, amen.